Welcome to the podcast. In and through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim, and I am the senior pastor of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario. And my name is Marshall, and I'm the associate pastor at MBC in Stratford. Sweet. Yeah. We did it again. We did. Another intro down. Nice. We're getting good at it. I can almost say it without my paper. <laughs> almost, not quite. <laughs> Maybe by the time we hit the anniversary mark, you won't need notes. Yeah, we'll see. You preach without notes. But I can't do an intro without notes. <laughs> <laughs> Boggles the mind. Boggles the mind. So, time in the Gospels today. Yeah. Our second week in the uh, New Testament. That's true. Uh, some amazing stuff. Really cool stuff. We were talking about forest and trees before. Yeah. We talked about the trees. I didn't want to talk about the forest because I wanted it to be a surprise. Okay. Because I think you're going to like this one. I'm on the edge of my seat. Football season yeah. has begun. The forest, he was who we thought he was. <laughs> I like it. That means nothing yeah. to 90% of the people listening. Yeah, but the 10%? But the 10% who remember football in the late 90s <laughs> remember a very angry head coach of the uh, Phoenix Cardinals. They were! Who we thought they were. After a big <laughs> loss to the Bears, who just went on a rant saying they were who we thought they were. There was no surprise. Whatever it is, it was as expected, and we just didn't execute. Yeah. It was on us. Yeah. The reason I'm bringing that in is because the first part of our reading, in my estimation, is a whole lot of Jesus revealing himself as the Messiah. Agreed. And the second half of that is a whole lot of people confronting him, mm. saying, prove it. Yeah. And him proving it multiple times over, and them saying, no. Yeah. Still don't like it. <laughs> and so it's on them. Yeah. No, it's true. That's true. Yeah, we're going to see that. Like, Jesus does more than enough to authenticate himself. Yeah, and you know what's a weird thing? There like there are all these people who want to come at scripture or Christianity as a belief that do the whole like Jesus never said these things about himself. This was put on him by his followers. You're like, I don't know what you're reading. You definitely haven't read it. Yeah. Because there's there's a whole lot that takes place in here. I mean we we read through Daniel not too long ago and the whole concept of the Son of Man Jesus Jesus uses that terminology about himself. Yeah. A lot. Yes, he does. A lot. Yes, he does. Yeah, so we kind of start this week's reading uh and there's a number of instances where Jesus is challenging the status quo in a certain sense. Mm -hmm. As to when and how he is doing miracles. Right. Uh, the, the main issue being that these miracles are taking place on the Sabbath. Right. Right. So, I mean, the very first example in this week's reading in John 5, there's a man, a cripple at the pool of Bethesda. And, you know, he's he there, there's this whole I don't, I don't know if it was a legitimate thing or a legend or whatever it is. But, you know, every once in a while, the angel stirred the pool and first one in got healed. Mm -hmm. And so he's just living next to this place and Jesus shows up. 
and uh, says, hey, do you want to be healed? Which the is guy says, that's why I'm here? Yeah. Like, do you, I love the Jesus' question. Like, the dude's a cripple, and it's like, do you want to be healed? Do you, do you want to be free from this ailment? Mm-hmm. Which seems like, I mean, kind of a strange question to ask. Like, of course he does. Sure. But it's interesting in a sense, in a spiritual sense, right? When we're confronted by the gospel, the question is, do you, do you want to be healed? Right. And yet so many people reject it. Anyone who's done any level of counseling will tell you there are a lot of people who are more comfortable in their struggle and are afraid of what freedom from that struggle might look like Yeah, and, and will continue in the struggle because it's familiar. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad. And anyways, but this man, he's uh, more than happy to accept oh, the yeah. healing. And, uh, but word gets out, Jesus did some healing on the Sabbath. Yeah. And, and this, so this, like you said, this is going to happen more than once, but this one yeah. is particularly interesting to me because the idea is no working on the Sabbath. That's what it all comes down to. Yep. The man would have to witness the pool roll off into the water and be healed. Nothing there constitutes work. Sure. What is it that Jesus does that constitutes work? (laughs) Right. (laughs) I know. He has a chat with the guy. Yeah. And they're like, whoa, hey. I'm I'm going to admit, Mm. I've read through the Old Testament, done it this year, in fact. Yeah, me so too. I know I, I'm pretty familiar with the law. It's fresh on the mind. Yep. I am not at all versed in rabbinical tradition to the degree that I would know the nths and the, all the nooks and crannies of rabbinical tradition. Sure. Don't know the Talmud inside and out. But I would ask the question miraculous healing, is it mentioned? Right, right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't. I don't think. Has this come along before? Where they're like, "Oh, that guy's doing miracles. Let's write that into rabbinical tradition." No miracles. No miracles allowed on the Sabbath. But no. he just speaks it. Yeah. He's having a conversation with a guy. Yeah. And they're like, "Nope, that's work. Mm. That, my friend, is legalism to the nth degree." Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. No. Seriously. And and Jesus' response is really interesting. Um, he's like. My father's working until now, mm-hmm. and uh, and I'm working. Yeah. What are you going to do about it? And when he, when he <laughs> does the whole my father thing. Again. Yeah. yeah. Significant. Significant. And, and, and they note it as such. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's what it says immediately says that's why they were seeking to kill him. Right. Because he had made himself equal with God. So again we who've been grown up in the Christian church have been steeped in this father language, which is appropriate, which is good, which, mm-hmm. we're, which is fully okay. But again, in that context, in that time to be like, God is my father. That was not, not okay. Not acceptable. Not common practice. No, it is not. It was only interestingly enough, common practice to see yourself as a child yeah. of Abraham. Yeah. Even though God would call them his children. Right. Throughout their scriptures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then Jesus goes into this whole thing about his own authority. Like Jesus mm-hmm. doesn't back down. He doubles down. Mm-hmm. Right. And then he starts saying like, don't like he is going to be the one who divides. Right. He is going to be the one who judges. Not like the prophets who come before mm. who say things like, 
and the Lord will, mm-hmm. or the servant of the Lord will, right? The suffering servant will. Mm. Says no. You're looking at him. Yeah. I will. I will. Yeah. Um. And, and this is an interesting. So multiple times in Scripture, they're going. People are going to be awed by him, and they'll say because he teaches as one with authority. Mm-hmm. Does not mean he is very charismatic. Right. It doesn't mean that he's, boy, that guy's not afraid to say what needs to be said. Mike drops all over the place. No, what it means is he is not referencing authority. Yeah. Thus says the Lord. He is speaking as the one with the authority. Yeah. Which no prophet before him would have ever done. That is blasphemous for a prophet to say, I am going to condemn this Mm -hmm. they would only have said the lord has spoken and will condemn this Mm. Um, but jesus doesn't speak as a proxy for authority he is not the messenger he is the logos yeah yeah he's the message pow yeah yeah so and i mean we could we could go on and on about the implications of of that but um, we get into, okay, there's, there's a subject that I want to, I want to get your thoughts on to kind of pick your brain on because, mm-hmm. um, going into the reading, uh, we get this discussion that has really frustrated and concerned people for a long time. And that is this idea of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So a little story, friend of mine works for this kind of inbound prayer call center where mm-hmm. people call in if they're needing prayer. And he mentioned that last week he had multiple people call in concerned that they lost their salvation because they believed that they had somehow blasphemed the Holy Spirit. My friend had some <laughs> interesting conversations with these people. What are, what are your thoughts on this whole, this whole idea of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, so there are a lot of questions about what exactly it means. Mm-hmm. Jesus doesn't take opportunity to explain it. No. Uh, so there are, there are a lot of interpretations. In With that just being said up front, I would say that this means it is likely a broader thing other than a specific action. Mm. I think if there was... This is what we have to remember. When the Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith and not of works, it doesn't mean we are saved by grace through faith and not of works except for one. Right. Right. And that work being that you resist blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Everything else, grace and mercy. So I, I think we have to reconcile it to our greater soteriology, the study of what it is we know about how we're saved. And so it has to harmonize and reconcile in that. Right. Um, so would I say to a person, um, th- there is a specific thing that is a blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that you have to be careful of because you'll lose your salvation for it. Mm. I don't think that that in particular resonates with everything else we know about how we come to Christ and how we remain in him. Right. Um. I, I would also say this, you have to look at the context in which the statement is made. The context in which the statement is made is a section of passages where Jesus is establishing himself as the the Messiah come, mm-hmm. the Son of God. And he is confronted 
by those who would like to think otherwise and say his work is not the work of God, but the work of Satan. Right. And so the Holy Spirit's revelation of Jesus as the Christ is what is being blasphemed because they are calling the revelation of the work of God in Jesus the work of Satan. Right. That is blasphemy mm. to call the person or the work of God Satan. Mm. So my interpretation of it would be that the rejection of the person and the plan of God as something evil is to blaspheme the good work of the Holy Spirit. Mm. So the unforgivable sin is the rejection of Christ mm-hmm. and the plan of God. Right. Which is unforgivable. Sure. It's per- yeah, the persistent unbelief. Right. Unto death. Yeah. So I think the I think the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in its context of scripture and in a harmonizing way with theology on a larger scale is to say the lack of faith in the plan of God Mm. through Jesus Christ is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Right. The rejection of the work and the revelation of the Holy Spirit Mm. on the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I would agree. And that is the one thing that will keep us from a relationship with God and cast us into eternal condemnation. Mm. Yeah. That's my take on it. Yep. No, I think that's a good take. I think it's a good take. Well, thanks. Uh, Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. I mean, we're so Sermon on the Mount is, you know, one of the most significant collections of Jesus' teaching mm-hmm. in the Gospels. And what he is saying in those three chapters of Matthew is are, are, he's they're really significant. I mean, he is he is laying a foundation for what a life of discipleship looks like. Right. Right? And it is and I think the call, you know, in the beatitudes and the discussion of, you know, salt and light, he's calling those who follow after him to be different, mm-hmm. to be distinct from the world. Yeah, right? in a, in a way that is counterintuitive. Yeah. Yeah, in a way that doesn't doesn't necessarily match up with conventional worldly wisdom, uh, but does genuinely lead to blessing of a sorts. Again, not necessarily conventional and worldly understanding of what blessing means, right? But a transcendent and heavenly and spiritual blessing. Yeah, I think if we truly look at the call that is on the believer in the Beatitudes, and in all of the Sermon on the Mount, the word that comes to mind is vulnerable. Ooh, yeah. It it makes us vulnerable. Mm-hmm. It sets us in a place where we say, I, I'm not in a good position at this point to defend or to throw my own offensive punch. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that place of vulnerability, entirely reliant on God. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the point of the Sermon on the Mount. Mm. Entirely reliant on God as we should be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And some people have kind of connected this scene with Jesus delivering uh, this sermon on the mountain uh, with Moses receiving the law. 
from mm-hmm. God, right? They've kind of tried to make that connection. And while there may be some kind of type and shadow situation going on, um, what Jesus is delivering is different. It's very different than what Moses mm-hmm. is delivering. Right. Uh, like what Moses received was a law that was to be enforced by a theocratic government. Right. Like these are the rules. Like this is the law book, right? Um, what Jesus is giving cannot be enforced no. by by governmental authorities, yeah. right? Right. It's it's individualistic, right? It's like and, and it's it, it is only something that can happen when when you are following after Christ, when you are, you know, filled with the spirit. And even even that in our current situation, we we fail to meet to meet the standard. But this is something that uh, transcends a legal code. Um, yeah, and, and I I think so. The way I generally describe that is is like you said, the legal code. A legal code is a base. It's a floor. Mm-hmm. Don't cross this threshold. Yeah, or you'll be in trouble. Right. Don't fall below the floor, mm-hmm. or you're in trouble. Right. Right. So the law establishes this floor that is a don't transgress below this point mm-hmm. but there is no measure or goal right right just don't transgress this jesus dials up things when he when he says you've heard it said but i say to you yeah right that's him taking the knob and turning the volume up mm-hmm. and he's not sometimes this gets misinterpreted as a an increase in the stringency of the law right right the floor is being raised mm. Uh, but that's not that's not the case at all, right? In fact, what's happening is he's showing us it's not about the floor, mm. it's about a goal, right? Right, and that goal is Christ likeness, right? So he is telling us it, it's not about like don't fall below the floor; it's about press on toward the goal, mm. press on toward the prize, um, which is doesn't negate the law, no, because the floor still stands, still exists. But our focus is not just don't mess up to that degree. The focus is strive toward that end. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's the difference between uh, the way we look at righteousness and righteous acts in a New Testament mindset versus an Old Testament mindset. Right. That doesn't negate the law in such a way that we would say the law is gone, mm-hmm. so it's free for all. But it doesn't carry over a new version of the law. Mm-hmm. Instead, we are striving towards Christ-like perfection to honor Him mm-hmm. and to give Him glory mm-hmm. um, in such a way that if, if you if you are obtaining or or working toward Christ-like perfection, the law is so far below you, mm. right? Like if if you're at a point where in your prayer and your striving. Uh, a lustful thought never enters your mind. Mm. It doesn't mean that adultery is no longer a law. Mm-hmm. It means it's so far behind you, right? That you're like a lustful thought can't enter into my head. Mm. It's a joke to tell me be careful of adultery, right? Yeah. Right. That's the way that I see the two uh, coming together mm-hmm. in a way that that some people challenge a lot. They're like, well. Jesus said, we've not done away with the law, but you would tell your church they don't need to practice the law. Mm. No, we need to practice the goal of Christ-likeness. Mm-hmm. And at that point, that floor mm-hmm. that we are not to transgress is so far beneath us that it's 
essentially out of play. Yeah, yeah. It, it might be a bit of an oversimplification here, but it's almost as though Old Testament law was about avoiding things that would displease God. Whereas mm. what Christ is proposing here and what he is teaching is, is striving for good things that please God. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, it, and again, that may be a little bit of simplification there, but I think that hopefully that'll help people kind of understand and differentiate between the two. Right. All right. So, Sermon on the Mount, uh, we get more healings, um, situations where Jesus is telling people that their sins are forgiven. Mm-hmm. And people are saying, Who are you to say that? Only one who speaks with authority could say that. That's right. And he says, well, to prove to you who I really am, be healed. Rise right? up and walk. Yeah. Um, and then he reads their minds <laughs> yeah, and calls true. them out again. You'd think at some point people would be like, this this is too creepy for me to continue not being on his side. Right, right. Like the whole you can't beat them, join them kind of thing. Yeah. You'd be like... I just kind of want to be on that side. You would think. But people right. aren't. Yeah. And that's where we find ourselves in uh, Luke 7, mm-hmm. where there are some messages being sent to John the Baptist, right? Some people come to him, mm-hmm. and Jesus says, go to him and tell him that all of the stuff he's been waiting for is going down. Yeah. It's taken place, and these are the things that you've seen. Because John the Baptist is the one making way, mm-hmm. right? After they leave, Jesus says, let me tell you a little something about John the Baptist. Calls him the most blessed to be born of a woman. Yeah. Uh, and, and tells everyone he is the one that was prophesied, would come in the spirit of Elijah saying, make way because the day of the Lord is coming. Mm-hmm. This is another point at himself. Right. <laughs> right? Yep. And so so he is he is amplifying John the Baptist in such a way as to amplify himself and his own ministry. And then he starts calling people out because people flooded to go hear John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. People who are coming against him. Yeah. And he says, all that time you spent, we, we asked this question last week, and now Jesus is going to ask the question, all this time you were listening to John the Baptist, and John the Baptist told you who I am. So now what? Why are you being this way? <laughs> what, what did you go out there expecting John the Baptist to do? Did you go out there expecting to see, you know, what? What were you expecting? Mm-hmm. But this is what he was, and this is what he had to say. And now you don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. And then he, he picks up and says uh, in verse 31, To what then shall I compare the people of this generation And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come, eating bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come, eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, Hmm. a friend of tax collectors and sinners. What were you waiting on? Right. Because we've given you both. Hmm. This is what we call in apologetics, willful disbelief. Mm -hmm. I choose not to believe. And so I'm still going to confront you because I don't want to admit to that. It's still going to be your fault. But I've established a paradigm in my head that cannot be uh, satisfied. Mm -hmm. 
and there's nothing you can do to prove it to me because I've already decided, although I'm asking questions. Right. That's the situation that the Pharisees have found themselves in, mm-hmm. and that's why we are going to continue to see these conflicts with the Pharisees throughout the life of Jesus and into the time of the apostles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in, in the Matthew account, as that discussion happens, he goes right into woe to the cities. Oh, yeah. Just right into them, right? Woe. Like, like he, he, and he compares them to these historically uh, sinful places like Tyre and Sidon, like Sodom, Mm -hmm. saying, if I had done this there, they would have repented. And since you, listener, have made your way through the prophets, you know all about what came upon Tyre and Sidon. Yeah. Yeah. And if you can remember all the way back to January, you might remember what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm -hmm. And, And he's saying, if I had done these things there, they would have repented. Yeah. We talked about this this morning in Staff Devotion. Mm. Right, this idea of this generation. He says it all the time, this generation, this generation. For all the other generations who we're looking forward to and in anticipation, it seems like Jesus is saying they're not getting a free pass, but at least there's something to the fact that, well, we're anticipating this thing. Yeah. Like, I'm here. Yeah. You're not anticipating anything. Yeah. And like generations that will come, you're not having to reflect and trust the word of others. Right. I'm just right here. And you're going to be like this. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it helps you understand why Jesus gets so harsh with them sometimes. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it is warranted. It is warranted, right? And the judgment that he pronounces and the things that are going to happen to Israel in the future um, are warranted. They're, you know, the, to, 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 to be face-to-face with the Messiah, the, the one who is the center of all of your holy scriptures, the one on whom all of this expectation has been placed, and he's there and he's doing, he's checking off the things that mm-hmm. he needs to do one by one. The blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, the lame are walking again. He's preaching and teaching with authority. He's doing all of these things, and they're so dead set on not receiving him. And, and that great moment when he says, you're going to come at me with, we've got the teachings of Moses. Yeah. You're going to come at me with, we've got the prophets. Yeah. And that's where we're, what we're banking on. Yeah. What do you think they're talking about? <laughs> they're talking about me. Yeah. And he's like, I don't even have to accuse you. Moses himself will, if, if your hope is going to be in the law of Moses, mm-hmm. you'll be held to that standard. Right. And see how that goes. Right. Like, <sighs> and even before the, the section that I read, we have a centurion. Mm. Non-Jew, yep, who comes up and says, "I need healing in my house," and Jesus says, "Let's go do it." And he says, "Hey, listen, I know what it's like to be a leader, and I know what it's like to give a command, and that command gets carried out without me having to carry it out." He, I'm a leader of men. You're a leader of all things, right? Just say it, and it'll it'll happen. Yeah. And Jesus looks to this guy, and he's just like. See, this is it. <laughs> this is what it's supposed to be. Where are you, Israel? This is this is what you're yeah. supposed to be doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's you know they're they're just blind. Yeah, they're blind. And then and it's a it's a complex issue. Their their blindness, their, their willful blindness, and and but there are certain things that they're just not able to compute. 
And so with that, I think that's a good transition just to get into this discussion about parables. Mm-hmm. Because I think Matthew 13 in particular is kind of a really good collection of, of some of the most notable uh, parables um, in the Gospels. And we get, uh, you know, the parable of the sower and the parable of uh, the wheat uh, the wheat and weeds, the mustard seed, all, all of those kind of things. And there's some discussion about why Jesus is teaching in parables. Um, there's there's almost an element, not of secrecy, but like, if you if you get it, you'll get it. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't always get it. The Bible's very clear about that. Yeah, sometimes they just don't. Sometimes Jesus has to explain. Sometimes the disciples ask, and Jesus is like, really? I kind of thought you'd get that one. <laughs> that was kind of an easy one. <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes, like in uh, in we'll see in Mark twelve, uh, the Pharisees get it right. Yeah, There's that great moment where he tells the uh, parable of the tenants, which we'll get to. One of my favorite moments oh, in all the yeah. Gospels. Yeah, that's a good one. And uh, it says the Pharisees were going to kill him right there, but mm-hmm. they perceived that his parable was about them. <laughs> yeah, Sent Mark in a very sarcastic way, being like. Uh, they, good on you, boys. You yeah. got that one. Yeah. I I like the parable of the weeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a good thing to keep in mind, I think. I think it transcends context. I think it was obviously true in in first century Israel, but I think it's also true where we are today. And And the reality is that as, you know, as the good seed is growing, there are, you know, among us, around us, those who are, are false, mm-hmm. right? And and essentially, it won't be till Christ's return that th- we're all gathered up and divided. Yeah, right? we're not. We're never going to teach our way out of those problems, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we've even had the Puritans, right? And still, we have questions, um, and we have false teachings, mm-hmm. and and that idea that this is always going to sort of grow up together, and God will do the sifting. Yeah. Which is not to say we just ignore heterodoxy and Mm -hmm. and unorthodox teaching, Mm -hmm. and we don't call it out. The Bible's very clear to tell us not to ignore those things, Mm -hmm. but to tell us to expect those things. Yeah, those things have existed and and will likely continue to exist, right? Did Uh, you say likely because of... Post millennialism, <laughs> maybe, um, but those things will continue, right? Until and it's and it's at the end that all are gathered, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, maybe I'm overreading it, but it seems like the uh, the wheat and the tares are gathered at the same time. Just, I can agree with that, <laughs> but some people might disagree. <laughs> in any case, in any case, um, you know, we get more. More examples of Christ's authority and power, you know, given through the parables. I mean, right at the very end of of this week's reading, we get the story where Jesus calms the storm. Mm-hmm. Um, now, demonstrating his power over the very, you know, nature itself. So we have seen to this point all of the things that were listed for John the Baptist: mm-hmm. the blind, the deaf. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dead raised to life. Yeah, multiple times. Multiple times. Jesus calms the storm, mm-hmm. and the disciples have a problem with that. 
They don't process that well. <laughs> Terrified. Yeah. Start asking. He has raised the dead, and now they're looking at each other going, who is this guy? Right. Yeah. Who is this guy? That they could go through all of his teaching. Like, this isn't, this isn't a blame on them. Sure. Right? I, because we can be qu- too quick to that, I think, sometimes. Yeah. Especially me. I, I can be too quick to that. But of all the things that they've seen, mm-hmm. and of all the things that they've heard, that this one thing causes them to stop and ask each other, who is this guy? Mm-hmm. That's, that's big. Yeah. That's powerful. That tells you that tells you the importance of that particular miracle. Mm. Um and, and the way that it just sort of struck a chord that humbled and quietened them. Yeah. And um I, I don't I think we tend to look at other miracles in in a greater light than we would look at the calming of the storm. Mm-hmm. But the apostles don't. Yeah. The apostles have seen quite a bit. Mm-hmm. They've seen enough to write about, and now here they are just dumbfounded, mm-hmm. literally, mm-hmm. asking questions. Mm. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, they're starting to get a glimpse of who he actually is. Yeah, because there are times when Jesus is like, haven't you guys seen enough? <laughs> you figured it out yet? How many more? Yeah. How much time do God, I have to God, how much this? longer? Yeah. <laughs> Do I have to be with this generation? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exasperated Jesus. Ugh. Yeah. So, highlights for you. Mm, Highlight for me. I'm going to go back to where you pointed us in Matthew 13. Mm. The parable of the hidden treasure. Okay. That a man would look into the, the kingdom of God the kingdom of heaven. And he would say, there is nothing that I own, nay, the sum total of all that this world has afforded to me Hmm. pales in comparison to that thing that my soul desires. Hmm. And I'll trade it all. Hmm. That's it. That's it. That is what it means to give your life to Christ. Hmm. That is why <laughs> yesterday we sang, take my life hmm. and let it be. That's why we sing, I surrender all, not I surrender a good portion, <laughs> not I'm willing to compromise on a couple of things, but I surrender all. That's why we use terms like I gave my life to Christ. Mm-hmm. I, I I think it is a... Especially the Matthian account is very short. I think it is a a beautiful, simple way to get across the point. We cling to nothing Mm. but Christ and the hope we have in him. Mm -hmm. And we we turn from it all. That's going to look different for different people. Mm Um. But that we would never find ourselves in a place where, like the rich young man, we would say, I'm going to walk away sad because I had great wealth. Hmm. Yeah. But instead, we would say, Psh, that is nothing. Right. That is nothing compared to the hope that I have in you. Mm-hmm. It's huge. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah. For me, um, in Luke 7, there's the scene of the the sinful woman who comes. So Jesus is dining 
at the house of a Pharisee. And this woman, sinful woman, comes in. She's got the expensive ointment. Mm-hmm. And she's washing Jesus' feet with her hair and her tears and, and all of this. And and the Pharisees are offended by this. And they actually question. They're like, if Jesus was actually a real prophet, he would instinctively know who this woman is and wouldn't let her touch him. Um, and then he uses the analogy of a rich man who has two debtors and who will be more grateful, right? Mm-hmm. The one who owes more. And uh, Because as he has said in our week's reading, it's not, I didn't come for the, the healthy. Mm-hmm. They don't need a doctor, it's the sick. Yeah, yeah. And I think like what I what I love about Jesus is in that culture, you didn't touch something that was unclean. Because if you touch something unclean, it made you unclean. Mm-hmm. But what we have time and time again are unclean people who touch Jesus and he makes them clean. Right. Physically, spiritually. Um, he's turned everything up on his head. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's significant. And I think when we understand that about ourselves, um, so many things that we can do and participate in that make us unclean. Um, but when we've been united to the clean one, we're washed. So anyways. yeah, interesting observation in the pre-show. I said, we got to camp out on Luke seven and he <laughs> said, that's fine, but we're going to take some time in Matthew 13 <laughs> In our highlights. I went Matthew 13 and you went Luke. Seven. Uh, that's funny. Yeah. Anyway, funny. Ha ha. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada and is produced by Alex Walker. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye.